So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This morning, we're going to focus our attention on verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I have three points to this message. We're going to look at the context, then the caution, and then the content. Okay? So that's my outline. We're going to look at the context, and then a caution, and then the actual content of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. What is the context of Ephesians 6, 1 through 4? Paul is writing this letter to Christians at Ephesus. And he begins this letter by reminding them of who they are. He reminds them in chapter 1 that they are the chosen of God, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. The only reason you are a Christian here this morning is because of the sovereign grace of God. He set his love upon you. And so, Christian parents, you begin here by understanding that you are a Christian because of the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself or of your own doings, but is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. So you begin with an understanding of the grace of God in your life that you have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God had already set his love upon you and me. And that is mind-boggling. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. We are to be a holy people. Be holy in all your behavior as I am holy, says the Lord. We are to be a holy people. We are to be different from the world. There are going to be times in your parenting when your children will say, how come we don't do like those other families? It is because we are Christians, we don't do that. We are a forgiven people. All your sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ and the shedding of his blood. All your sins, past, present, and future, have all been forgiven in Christ. David writes, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose iniquity is covered. You've been redeemed. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. There was a time when you were spiritually dead, and he quickened your heart and made you alive unto God. There was a time when you didn't care about God, you didn't care about the Bible, you didn't care about church, but now God made you alive, and now that is what you love. You love going to church, you love reading the Bible, you love spending time in prayer, because God has done a supernatural work of grace in your life. The things that you once loved, you hate. The things that you hate, you now love. 
You've been born again. He's given you a new heart, a new spirit. You've been transformed. Christian parents, you've been born again. You've got this life of God in you. There was a time when you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have been brought near to God now. And through Christ, we have access to the Father. We have access to the throne of grace because of Jesus Christ. There was a time when we had no access to God. You're not going to go see the new king of England or Great Britain and just march into Buckingham Palace. You have no access. You're going to need somebody to introduce you to the king to give you access. And that's what Jesus has done. He's given us access to the Father's throne. And now we can go to God in his presence and enjoy the presence of the Lord. The veil in the temple has been torn from top to bottom. We can enter into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God, and worship him and lay our petitions before him. We now have access to God through Jesus Christ, and we can draw near to God. You're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens of the saints. You belong to God's kingdom. You're citizens of a new nation. You're members of God's household. God has adopted you into his family. You are now sons and daughters of God. You're part of a holy temple, the church that God is building. Now, this is a building not like bricks, but of stone. Every stone is different, different size, different shape. And the mason places those stones in the wall. You've seen stone buildings. There's a beautiful stone church in Batavia right on 31. That's the picture Paul gives us in Ephesians 2. We're a part of this structure that God is building. We're stones, and we're included in the church. And then he tells us, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're no longer to get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Christian parents, you're not alone in your parenting. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You have been born again. You've got this new life in you. You have access to the throne of God. So you're not alone in your Christian parenting. We're members of God's household we belong to the Lord and to his family. But not only that, he's given us his word, the Bible. Later on in Ephesians 6, 17, he's going to tell these Christians, take up the sword, which is the word of God. And then you remember Paul writing to Timothy. He says, Timothy, I'm reminded of that genuine faith that was in you and it was in your grandmother, Lois, and it was in your mother, Eunice. And then later on in chapter 3, he says, You have known the sacred writings from childhood, which gave you the knowledge of salvation. God has given us his word, the Bible. The Bible is God's holy word. There is no other book in the Bible, or no other uh, book in the world like the Bible. The Bible stands alone. It is unique. Every time you open up the Bible, you're coming into the presence of God, and he is speaking to you. So you have the Bible. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, 105, 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And then listen to this quote from Ted Tripp. The Bible, it is the revelation of a God who has infinite knowledge and can therefore give you absolute truth. God has given you a revelation that is robust and complete. It presents an accurate and comprehensive picture of children, parents, family life, values, training, nurture, discipline. All you need to be equipped for the task of parenting is found in the Bible. So, so parents, Christian parents this morning, you're not alone. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. You've been born again. You have access to the throne of God. You have his word to guide you and direct you in your parenting. I don't know about you, but I remember going to the hospital and to pick up Paula and Laura, our firstborn, and picking this baby up and saying, you're really going to let us go home with this child? We, we, we don't know what to do. Uh, where's the instruction manual? Uh, you feel really helpless and vulnerable. You're like, okay, well, now what? We have the word of God to be our teacher. We have a throne that we can go to in a time of need. And then last, we're still looking at the context, but not only that, all of this is put in the context of the local church. Who's Paul writing to? Christians, members of the First Baptist Church of Ephesus, right? And so he's writing this letter to these Christians, and he begins, first of all, by reminding them who they are. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is doctrine. This is who you are. Now, chapters 4, 5, and 6, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you've been called. And then before he talks about wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives, children, honor your parents, uh, fathers, don't provoke your children. Before he says all of that, he backs up and says, all of you as members of the body of Christ are to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. So in other words, here's the context of your Christian parenting. You have been born again. You've got this new life in you. You're part of the household of God. God is your heavenly father. You can go to the throne of grace. He's given you a Bible to guide you and direct you. And then he's placed you inside this church family to help you in your parenting. That's the context. Word of caution. The fact that you have become a Christian does not mean that you're automatically right in all that you think and do. Here's a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. There are some people who seem to think that that is the case. The moment a man becomes a Christian, according to them, everything is perfectly plain and clear. The impression is given that you've entered into some kind of a magical atmosphere. Nothing is the same. Everything is different. No problems, no difficulties. All you have to do is make a decision for Christ, and the story will be they all lived happily ever after. There will never be any more problem or difficulty. Of course, that is quite wrong, end quote, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Yes, you've been born again, you've got life in you, but that doesn't mean you're right in all areas of your life. If that was true, none of the New Testament epistles would be written. Paul is writing to Christians who've been born again, but they still need teaching and instruction. Okay. Point number three, the content. The content. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
fathers. Notice he begins with fathers. He singles out fathers. Why doesn't he say, now parents? He says, fathers. You're the head of the house. You are ultimately responsible for bringing up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It is your responsibility, and it is a most solemn responsibility. God will hold you accountable for how you raise your children, fathers. You are in charge of your household. Your number one ministry as parents is your children, to teach them and to guide them in the ways of the Lord. There's no greater calling in life than to be a father. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. You notice this verse has a positive and then a negative. The negative is fathers, don't do this. Do not provoke your children to anger. I'm going to kind of skip over that point this morning. We can maybe deal with it another time. Uh, but it's enough to say, he is saying, fathers, do not provoke your children. There's some things that you shouldn't do as fathers. Don't provoke your children. Don't exasperate your children. Don't irritate your children. It only leads to resentment. So he says, don't do that. Okay, that's the negative. We're going to focus on the positive. What are we to do? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the positive statement. Paul is exhorting these Christian parents, bring them up. That's just another way of saying rear them, raise them, nurture them to maturity. In other words, your first responsibility is towards your children and to recognize I have been given this responsibility by God to bring them up, to train them. They are not your property. Ultimately, your children belong to the Lord, and he has given these children to you for a purpose. What's the purpose? To bring them up, to grow them, to mature them. This term includes everything that we do for our children, the whole process of cultivating the mind, the heart, and the soul of the children. We are to bring up our children in an evil, sinful world, and our primary concern is that they would come to know the Lord. That's our goal, to bring them up, to teach them. I had a woman call me several years ago, and... Uh, she wanted to meet with me, with her daughter, who was pregnant with uh, their first child, so it was going to be her granddaughter. And so they said, um, Pastor Scott, um, my dad baptized in your church, and I want this child to be baptized uh, when it's born. And I said, well, we don't do baby baptism here, but uh, come into the office. I'd love to talk to you about it. So they did. They came into my office. They sat down, and she said, you know, my father was baptized here, and I just want my granddaughter to be baptized in the same church that uh, my father is baptized. And so we kind of walked through what believer's baptism is and why we don't do that here at Calvary. And then the, the, the mom, the expected mom, said, you know what? She said, my husband's an atheist, and I'm a practicing Lutheran, and we want to raise our child in a way that we, we don't influence our daughter in any way. We just want her to just decide for herself. Do you believe in God or do you not believe in God? We just want to just let her make that choice. That is the opposite of what Scripture is teaching. 
Our children do not come into this world with a blank slate. They come into this world with fallen, sinful nature, a heart that is desperately wicked, and we need to train them and teach them what is right and what's wrong. We are to speak truth into their life. This first word here uh, that Paul uses is words of action. These are things that you're going to do to raise your children. And then the second word, admonition, is really the words that you speak into the lives of your children. Now, I personally like the King James Version here of Ephesians 6, 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I like that term, nurture, when it comes to Christian parenting. What comes to your mind when you think about nurturing? You think about being gentle and careful and patient. You think of somebody who uh, has a love for gardening. It's their plants. It's their flowers. And they're nurturing them. They're what, does it have enough sunlight? Does it need more sun? Does it have enough water? What's the soil like? Is it uh, the right soil? Uh, you're concerned about any kind of pest or disease that could destroy that plant. You're, you're nurturing it. Children are like that. They're like beautiful plants, flowers, fragile that need to be nurtured, patience, kindness. Or you think about training. How do you, how do you train up a child? What comes to your mind when you think about training? I seen in the paper yesterday, just opened the Westminster Dog Show in New York. How much training goes into having a championship show dog? You have got to be dedicated to that dog. You've got to train it. Okay, how much exercise is it going to have? What kind of food is it going to eat? What kind of bedding does it need? Um, what kind of shots does it need to protect it from some kind of disease? A lot of training goes into training a dog or a horse or any animal. And here we're talking about train up your children. And yet sometimes you get the feeling that a lot of parents don't even give thought to it. And the Lord is saying, no, you have a responsibility to train them, to bring them up, to nurture them, to care for them. It's going to take time and patience and gentleness and kindness. The ESV says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Wow, that's a big word. That's huge in the, in the Bible. As parents, you're going to have to discern how to discipline your children. The Bible has a lot to say about discipline. We can all just touch on it this morning. It's a huge subject. Read the book of Proverbs. It talks about discipline. Somehow as parents, you're going to have to discern between the law and grace and discipline. When a child takes all the books off of the shelf and has got them on the floor and is marching on them, is that a discipline issue? No, the child doesn't know. The child doesn't know. You sit down and you say, we don't do that to books. Books are valuable. They're expensive. We put them back on the shelf. We don't march on them, okay? But the next time, if they take those books off when you said, Daddy and Mommy said, don't touch the books, and they get them anywhere and dump them, now you got a discipline issue. Now you got a discipline. You're going to have to discern that as parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word nurture, discipline, it speaks of the total rearing of the child. Bringing up a child includes discipline. 
You're going to have to decide then as parents what is proper discipline in your home. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We come to the last phrase here, of the Lord. This is what separates Christian parents from all other parents. Our number one desire as Christian parents is that our children would come to know the Lord. This puts Christian parenting in a totally different category. Yes, we want to teach our children good morals. This is right and this is wrong. Yes, we want to teach our children to be honest and trustworthy. Yes, we want to teach them good manners, to say please and thank you. Yes, we want to teach them to be respectful of others, to respect their elders, to respect their peers, to respect people of different colors, different races, different ethnicity, different economic status, rich or poor. We want to teach our children to respect others. Yes, we want to teach them responsibility, pick up your toys, make your bed, clean your room. But our goal, our number one goal as Christian parents is to teach our children about the Lord and the things of the Lord so that they can walk with the Lord. John Piper in his book, Life is a Vapor, says this. He said, every time my wife was pregnant, I was absolutely stunned. A human being has come into existence that did not exist before. And how long is that child going to be in existence? Forever. Forever. That child has come into existence and that child will be in existence forever, either in the presence of God, worshiping him, finding joy and happiness in the Lord, or they'll be eternally separated from the Lord in a place that Jesus calls weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what's at stake. A child has come into existence that will live forever. The question is, where will they live forever? Sometimes you ask a parent, how's your son doing? Oh, he's doing great. He's a CEO of this giant company making tons of money. Him and his wife just bought a house in South Barrington. He, he's driving a Bentley. Oh, yeah, my son is doing great. Is he walking with the Lord? Does he love the Lord? How's your son doing? Oh, he's pastor of a church of 3,000 members. They've gone to three services. They've got multiple campuses, sites, and the, the ministry's just growing. Yeah, but does he love the Lord? Is he walking with God? How's your daughter doing? Oh, she's a nurse and she's got a great career and she married this guy and they've got three children and they're doing wonderful. But do they know the Lord? Are they walking with the Lord? As parents, right, the bottom line, yes, we want a good career for our kids. We want them to have resources to make a good life. Yeah, we want that for our kids. But bottom line is, we want our kids to walk with the Lord. We would rather they were mopping floors and cleaning toilets and knew the Lord and loved him and served him than to be CEO of a gigantic corporation and not know the Lord. What is the responsibility of the church in raising children? Does the church have a responsibility in the raising of children? How can we, the church, how can we, members of the body of Christ, come alongside these young couples and help them to raise their children? If you have your Bibles turned.
Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 5. We'll read it in its context, and then we'll focus mainly on verses 3 and 4. But as for you, this is Paul writing to a young pastor by the name of Titus. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. We're going to focus on verses 3 and 4, where Paul says, Older women are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. That's the ESV. King James, the aged women are to teach what is good, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. King James. Older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and how to love their children. Do we need to be taught how to love our husbands? Do we need to be taught how to love our children? Doesn't that just come naturally? Paul is writing this letter to a young pastor by the name of Titus. What does Paul say to Titus? Titus, you're the pastor of this church. You are responsible to train the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. Is that what he says? No. He delegates it. He says to uh, Titus, you're a young man, and what you need to do is you need to instruct the older women in the church to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and to love their children. Titus, you're a young pastor, and you don't know a whole lot about loving husbands and loving children. That's something you need to delegate to the older women in the church. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to instruct the older women to come alongside the younger women that teach them how to love their husbands and to love their children. I am hoping and praying that we will be that kind of church that the older women in Calvary Baptist Church would see this as their calling, that I want to come alongside the young women in this church, and I want to help them love their husbands and love their children. That is my hope and desire for Calvary, that the women of Calvary Baptist Church would see this as their calling, that this is what pleases the Lord. And young couples, look around this morning. Look around. You have a wealth of knowledge in this building to help you in your parenting. Young couples, may I ask you a very important question. How teachable are you? Are you willing to be taught are you willing to change? Do you have the humility to be instructed? 
If God wants to teach you through an older woman in the church who comes to you with genuine love and compassion and says, your son and your daughter is out of control and they are disrupting the church, how would you respond? Would you get angry and mad and upset? Who does she think she is telling me about my kid? Hey, have you seen her grandson? You talk about wild. He's wild. And then she comes knocking on my door? How teachable are you? The fact is, maybe God has been trying to teach you his word, and you haven't been listening. So God's Holy Spirit moves a woman in the church to come alongside you and to confront you and say, you know what? You need, you need some help here. How would you respond if somebody said that to you? Now, I don't know about you. I know exactly how I'd respond. I'd be mad, upset, defensive. We don't take correction naturally. I don't, and I don't think you do. I don't think none of us take correction uh, uh, lightly or without being somewhat uh, affronted or personally attacked, we feel like, and we become defensive. But we shouldn't be that way. It's not easy to take criticism or correction that doesn't come to us naturally, but we should welcome any instruction. Anything that busts my bubble of self-image and people give me a true picture of who I really am is helpful. And you know, it makes a big difference if somebody comes to you in genuine love and you know they care for you and you know they're not really criticizing, it makes a big difference when you know they're for me. They want to help me. They're not just nitpicking. They're not just criticizing me. It makes all the difference in the world when you know that person is for me. They want what's best for me, and they want what's best for my family. So young people, are you teachable? Are you willing to listen to instructions from others? Like I said, it's not easy for any of us to accept correction from others. One dear lady came up to Elizabeth Elliott in North Carolina after she got done with one of her conferences, and she said to Elizabeth Elliott, my children pointed out to me that I scream at them all the time. She said, I didn't know that. I didn't know I was doing that. And when they said to me, she said, it made me furious. But then I realized I would have to be furious at myself because I grew up in a home where everybody screamed at everybody else, and I was used to that. I was programmed that way. And she said, it has been a major effort on my part not to scream at my kids. And she said, I would have never known that unless my kids told me that. And so we have a responsibility to tell one another where we need help and to accept that correction. So church, we have a responsibility to come alongside these young couples and help them raise their children and to train them in the ways of the Lord. Not criticizing them, not picking on them, but being for them and wanting to help them in any way that you can. Paul says in Romans, let your love be genuine. Make it real that you really care about them and their children. That's point number one. Point number two, church, we need to provide resources for young parents, books, videos, study guides. 
Mrs. Adams has worked diligently on the church library, updating it, getting rid of old books, bringing in new books. We've got a church library back there that is full of parenting books. Take them up, read them, find some instructions. When Paul and I uh, were raising our children when our kids were little, Bill and Connie, and I think Lou and Sandy, and Sipo and Vita, there was four of us, and uh, there was a couple by the name of uh, Bob and Wilda Pingle. They announced a parenting class at their house. It was going to be 12 weeks, and you had to commit to all 12 weeks. Barring providence of God, it's something, but you had to commit to 12 weeks to this parenting class. And so we did. There's four couples. We signed up for it, and we did this series called Growing Kids God's Way. That's way back there. That's some 20 years ago. I still remember one thing that was very important that they said, and that was 12 weeks. They said this, your children are never to be the center of your home. Your marriage is the center of your home. Children are addition to the marriage. Children are a blessing to the marriage, but they are never to be the center of the home. Don't make an idol out of your children. Don't build a shrine to them. And I know that's hard because, man, when your children come along, your whole focus is on your kid. And you think, how did we do life without them? Everything's focused on them. But your children are never meant to be the center of the home. Continue to date your wife. Continue to keep your marriage strong. And so as a church, we need to provide resources like that, parenting classes. Uh, when Paul and I was pastor of Calvary here, um, when I was the lead pastor here, uh, we did uh, two parenting classes at our house by Ted Tripp entitled Shepherding a Child's Heart. I personally think it's one of the best Christian uh, books on Christian parenting. Um, and Ted Tripp focuses on the heart of the child. Uh, your child's behavior flows out of a heart. What they say and what they do is motivated by their heart. And so you're always going after heart issues, not the surface stuff. And so as a church, we need to be that kind of church that's providing teaching and training to our young couples. And we have a responsibility to teach the Bible faithfully here at Calvary. If we have a children's ministry and we're given uh, children for one hour, we need to make that hour count. I was in high school and my parents moved from First Baptist Church of West Chicago to First Baptist Church of St. Charles. And we started attending the youth program there and uh, going to Sunday school. The guy that was teaching Sunday school, he was a nice guy, salesman. He was guys that wanted the kids to like him. And so we would sit in that Sunday school class, and for 45 minutes, they would talk about what happened in school. Oh, the Friday night football game, and the fight that broke out in the cafeteria, and this happened, and this happened. And I'm from West Chicago, and they're from St. Charles. It didn't mean anything to me. And for 45 minutes, the kids would just talk about school life. And then he would look at his watch and say, oh, well, it's, it's 1020, and we've got to be done at 1030. So let's open the Bible now, and let's study Philippians. That's unacceptable, totally unacceptable. And I could even argue that with my parents. I wasn't a Christian at that time. I said, Dad, this is a waste of time. All they do is talk about school things, and he couldn't defend it. I said, okay, you don't have to go to Sunday school because I'm not being taught anything. No, we're given an hour as a church to teach our children. Let's make that hour count. They're in a world that is full of lies, and they need truth. And we need to pray. We need to pray for these young couples 
lift them up to the throne of grace that God would continue to work in them and through them and that God in his timing would save their children. We need to pray for these young couples. That's our responsibility as a church. Uh, That is the charge to the church. We have a responsibility as a church to come alongside these Christian parents and love them and care for them and help them train their children in the ways of the Lord.